Missed you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, we know that you wrote it down for us, that it's alive, it's living and breathing. And Lord, you want it to minister to every heart that is here. I thank you for everyone who's here tonight and those watching on live stream. None by chance, all by divine appointment. Be glorified tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so as we've been talking about, Chronicles is the chronicling of it goes all the way back from the time of Adam and links it to David. And the main focus of 1 Chronicles is the, the reign of King David. And we know that kind of parallels with 1 Samuel. And then 2 Samuel, we got to the evil and the wicked kings in both Judah and also in Israel. And if you were here, the first nine chapters are all just genealogies pretty much. And the reason, again, that it's in there is it's pointing us in the direction of, of David. And of course, we know that through David would come the Savior. Now, last time, we got a glimpse into David's mighty men. And we saw some descriptions of these guys. We're going to look at them some more in more depth tonight. We're just looking like kind of at the leaders amongst his mighty men. And first we saw that they were men of valor and bravery. They were mighty in battle. They were loyal to David, even though they were greatly outnumbered. They didn't waver or quit in times of great suffering. And while following David, a man who himself was a fearless leader. And so we're going to learn a lot to, to apply to our lives tonight as we get to chapter 12, because we just looked at the, kind of the leaders among the mighty men that followed David, and we're going to go into depth looking at more. And, you know, it was David, it was much more than David, the man that they followed. We'll see that tonight. They were really following the Lord. See, God puts leaders in our lives, spiritual leaders in our lives, but we don't worship men, amen? We don't praise men. We don't look to men. We look to the Lord. Now, godly men should lead, and, and we should have those in our lives that disciple us and minister to us. But the reason that these mighty men stayed, again, God used David, but they stayed because the Lord's hand was upon David, and these men who followed him became aware of that. It was God's anointing and calling upon his life that led the nation of Israel, this godly king, a righteous king. He was God's man. And they were following uh, God's and his plan and his will that came through David. So last week we saw that the battle belongs to the Lord, that God is always faithful to his promises, that God, if God is for us, who can be against us, that Christians can be strong. We'll see that more tonight. Christians, too often Christians are portrayed as weak, mamby, pamby, wimpy. They'll even portray Jesus that way. You ever see pictures of Jesus? A lot of times they make him look wimpy. First of all, we don't know what he looked like. Amen. We just know the Bible tells us that he, was, he wasn't anything to behold. He wasn't super handsome in any way. But the Bible tells us that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And we need to know that as Christians, it's okay to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen. And that's what God's called us to be. We saw that last week. The Lord wants us to focus on what's in front of us, not what's behind us. What does the enemy want you to do? He wants you to just keep looking back. He wants to keep reminding you of your past. He wants to let you know that you can't possibly be used by God going forward because you failed him in the past. Well, join the club. We all failed him in the past. While we were at sinners, Christ died for us. He said, our enemies are only great if our God is small, and spiritual maturity and leadership are reflected most, but not only standing for the Lord against the world, but influence but the influence his life and character have on those closest to us. So we come to chapter 12, and as we come to chapter 12 tonight, grab your outline, and I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you. Then I'll tell you, then I'll tell you what I told you. Amen? Amen. So I tell the message, when times are tough, keep looking up. How many of you guys have been going through tough times this year? Raise your hand. Almost every hand in here, Okay. And as we go through difficult times, it's easy for us to, even if we don't do it out loud, maybe doubt God or question God. It's easy for us to get frustrated. It's easy for us to get discouraged, maybe even depressed, maybe or anxious or worried. Uh, we can grieve to the point where we're rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God. And all those are things that we all go through at some point in our life. But what we need to know is that when times are tough, we're not alone. Amen. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And we'll see in tonight's text, because we're going to see 
Uh, we're starting to look at David, and what we're going to look at tonight is when David was alone, when David was running from Saul, when David, before David became anointed king, he'd been anointed king by Samuel, but he's been waiting for 10 years while Saul has been reigning, and Saul's been wanting to kill David. And David had no idea when that was going to end or if it was going to end if he didn't keep his eyes on the Lord. And so we're going to see his example and the example of these mighty men in these six points. First, we're going to see how do we, how do when times are tough, keep looking up? How do we do that? First, by focusing on the eternal. Minister to others even when they have nothing to offer in return. We're going to see that tonight. You know, that's what service is. Serving somebody is when you serve them expecting nothing in return. Amen. You know, when you just give to people because you have an ulterior motive because you want something back, well, the, the true giving is giving, expecting nothing in return. And again, it must not be about power, position, or popularity. It must always be about following the Lord and doing His will. We're going to see these men come and start to serve David. And if you're not careful, you'll forget that they're serving David when David had nothing to give them. Even though David was the anointed king, he wasn't the reigning king. David was hiding in caves, or he was hiding in Ziklag, where the, Philist, uh, the Philistines were. That's part of where he was. And so we're going to see that they came and served David, trusting that God was going to do a work in him. But they came when they, had, when they were outnumbered on purpose, and they came to serve a man they knew at the time could not give them anything back. Number two, be prepared for battle. We battle not with flesh and blood. To be victorious, we must put on the whole armor of God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We fight spiritual battles every day. We're going to see that they're fighting physical battles, but we only can even win the physical battles if the Lord is with us. Number three, know that no suffering is wasted. You hear me say that a lot. But trust in the sovereignty of God. Find comfort and fellowship with other believers and be encouraged by the promises in God's word. David suffers greatly. And all that choose to follow him, choose to suffer alongside him. But again, as believers, the Bible talks about, you know, being a part of the in fellowship of his sufferings. You know, our Savior suffered for us, and everybody in the Bible used mightily has suffered greatly. And as believers, suffering is a part of what we signed up for as Christians. Number four, Suffering is for but a little while. You know, when we're in the midst of suffering and difficulties, it feels like it's never going to end. I know that's how David must have felt to some degree. He was on the run for his life for 10 years. He is the anointed king, and he doesn't know that there's a stopwatch at the end of 10 years. He doesn't know if it's going to last for the rest of his life. Isn't it good to know that whatever suffering you're going through, it's not forever? Amen. It's only for a little while. Even if that means the rest of this life here on earth, it is going to come to an end. And then we're going to spend eternity with Almighty God. I, I can't imagine when we are in heaven looking back at our life on earth, how are we going to see it? I know we're going to realize it was like this. Amen? It's just a vapor compared to eternity. If I have to suffer for this long so that eternity is impacted, praise the Lord. Amen? Number five, strength comes from a unified body. One of the things that, that needs to happen in the body of Christ more often, and we're going to see that happening as Israel gets unified finally in this chapter, and they all start to recognize there's one king in King David where they had been splintered before, is that if the body of Christ is to be effective, we need to recognize we're all on the same team. Amen? Instead of fighting with each other over you know, secondary issues, and I'm, I love theology, I'm all about it, but there's things that are non-salvific. That's just a word that means it has nothing to do with salvation. It can be a secondary issue. And what happens is people will divide over a secondary issue. And you know what that does? That just brings harm to the cause of Christ. Amen? It's not about us being right. It's about God being glorified. Now, again, if it comes to things that are essentials of the Christian faith, we should stand on the table and scream over with the top of our lungs. Amen? But when it comes to, well, do you guys, how do you, you, know, you baptize in the name of Jesus only or in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do you dunk them forward or backward? Do you sprinkle them or do you dunk? You know, and again, I believe we have a biblical perspective on baptism, but I'm not going to fight with somebody over that because in heaven, that won't matter. Amen? And there's things like that. There's so many things like that. What kind of music do you play? Oh, we only do hymns at our church, and you have to wear a Guys, that's fine. God bless you. But we want to be unified. We're all on the same team here. Amen? And then finally, joy comes in the morning. 
Grief, suffering, trials, and heartache are all temporary. And in the midst of the storm, keep your eyes on Jesus and the promise of heaven. You know, the strongest of people on this planet are those who walk in faithful obedience to the Lord. We're going to get into the text now, but I just want, to, I want you to think about this. The people that I look up to most and the people that I seek counsel from and the people that I believe are the strongest people on this planet, and I'm talking about all people, are people who have gone through great trials and difficulty, but have continued to keep their eyes on Jesus, be faithful in their walk with the Lord, never turning back, always praising his name in the midst of great suffering. Amen? And those are people, when you see that, that again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And when you see that faith tested and they don't waver and they don't walk away, they keep following the Lord. To me, that is a spiritual strength that comes from godly character and most of all, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? And those are the people that, see, that's why the suffering is so important and why it's so significant because God didn't hide the suffering of the people in here because he knew it would encourage us and it would strengthen us to know if, if the apostle Paul can endure it, so can we. Amen? If Noah can endure it for 120 years building a boat and being mocked every day of it, we can endure it too. Amen? So we're going to see in tonight's text again, and when we see someone who has walked by faith with godly character for many years, you need to know that their faithful obedience and spiritual maturity came at a heavy price. We all say, I want to be as mature as so-and-so spiritually. Well, you might have to walk down the same path that that person walked. Amen? And again, that's all part of our growing process. Spiritual growth comes through fiery trials and the testing of our faith. And again, God is still producing spiritual greatness, wisdom, and maturity in the lives of people. And I pray that we would be those people. So beginning there in verse one, focusing on the eternal. When times are tough, keep looking up. Look what happens here in verse one. Now, these were the men who came to David at Ziklag, while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war. Now, they were talking about the mighty men in chapter 11. We saw that a couple weeks ago. And when they were talking about the mighty men, they were specifically talking about, you know, the top 30 guys and the ones that they serve. And now they're just going to talk about all those who came to David. Now, Ziklag is when David was, had run off to hide with the Philistines. Now, what's crazy about that is David killed the baddest dude amongst the Philistines. What was his name? He killed Goliath when he was a teenage boy, and he did it, and what happened was it made all these Philistines run for their lives, run away. They're all running away. And now David is hanging out with the very people that God had called him to conquer, who God had used to defeat their, their champion, and now he's at a point where he's actually going to fight with them against Israel, the very people that he is king over. So while David is a mighty man of God and the greatest king that Israel ever had, according to God's word, David was also a flawed man who got frustrated after 10 years having, the, having King Saul throw spears at him and try to kill him. And so what does he do? He's going to fight on the side of the Philistines and praise God that God made the Philistines tell him, we don't want your help. The Philistines told him, I don't think so. You might, you might get in battle and turn on us. And we've already seen what you can do. We don't want that. So they wouldn't let him do it. And do you know the battle he was going to go out on is the battle that King Saul is going to die in? And he would have been in the battle. But we see that King David gets frustrated. It's been 10 years. He's been hiding in caves. He's been running for his life. He pretended to be a madman one time. He's done all these things, and now he's hanging out with the Philistines. He's not in the land of promise. He's in the land of the enemy. He's hanging out with the enemy, and sometimes when we're discouraged, we find ourselves hanging out with the world when we should be running to the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so you're going to become like who you hang out with. And he's hanging out with the Philistines. And who shows up but some of these tired and weary men? And they come to come alongside King David. 
Now, Ziklag is toward the end of that 10 years. We're going to see earlier when he was in a cave, some other guys came to him. So these guys came to King David, and he had nothing to give them. David wasn't king yet. David didn't have any riches to give these men. They came to serve alongside him. They were drawn by the Lord to him, and they come to him, and they're willing to serve him. So during this 10-year period, he had already been the anointed king. He had already won many battles, not just David and Goliath, but, you know, we fought Goliath, but he had won battles, he had won wars. They were already singing songs about David. One of the reasons that Saul hated him so much, one of the songs was, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul didn't like that. I got to kill that guy. And Saul has already been told that the kingdom's been ripped from him because he tried to take the place of the high priest and he, and he blasphemed the Lord in what he did. He also lied in, about the Amalekites. He had fallen short. And so here's King David and King David is God's man, but Saul is still reigning and it's been 10 years and David now is living with the enemy. David's not doing as well as he could be. So Saul saw David as a threat, was obsessed with killing David, and the anointed king had been on the run for 10 years. And doesn't that seem like wasted time? You know, he's been anointed king for 10 years, and he didn't serve for 10 years. Doesn't that seem like a waste of time? Again, no suffering is wasted. What God was doing for 10 years in David's life was preparing him to be a better king. Amen? So you might feel like, man, I've been in this place for a long time. And I know that God has this calling on my life. And boy, this seems like time is just being wasted. It's not being wasted. It's part of preparation for what God wants to do in your life. My own personal testimony, I was a youth pastor for 15 years. But after about five years of working with youth, my senior pastor and I in Lancaster, we both knew that I was going to go plant a church. That was my heart, is go plant a church. And I stayed with him for five more years. And I was doing men's ministry and youth group and teaching on Sundays for him and the whole thing. And he came to me one Sunday and basically kicked me out of the church. He basically said, you're not doing youth anymore. You're not doing men's anymore. You're not teaching for me anymore. You're not doing anything anymore because you're going to stay here forever and you need to go plant a church. And he gave me a list of all these places looking for a Calvary Chapel and a, and a recommendation letter and said, go. You're kicked out. I go to Northern California because I was going to pastor a church in Fremont. And when I get up there, some other guy had been sent. And now I'm sitting there going, I ended up spending five more years as a youth pastor. I said no six times to Pastor Don McClure. And then finally, I went in and hung out with the kids. And I'm like, really? I knew I was going to be in, I knew I was going to plant a church five years ago. And now I'm going to spend more, I spent five more years at Calvary San Jose. But here's the reality. None of that time was wasted. Amen. Because God was doing, allowing that to minister to people, but also to do a work in my heart. I, you know, the church in Lancaster had like 800 to 1,000 people. This church was over 3,000 people. And so I got to see just different ministries and minister to different people in different ways. And it was a blessing. And so whatever you're going through, you may be, you know, I want to get married right now. And I've been waiting for that guy. He needs to, you know, somebody here tells me, you need to give my husband a GPS so he can find me. <laughs> right? And there's people that are waiting. And when I tell people this, they don't like it. But here's what I tell them. Well, maybe you're not ready or they're not ready. Amen? Maybe there's more where God's got to do in you, or maybe there's more where God's got to do in him, and you don't want him until he's ready. Can I get an amen to that? And so here's King David. He's in that position where 10 years, I was anointed. I was already the champion. They were singing songs about me. Now I've been hiding in caves, and now I'm hanging out with the Philip. And praise God that these guys show up and say, David, we want to serve you. David, we want to go into battle with you. David, we know you have nothing you can give us. We still want to serve you anyway. What a great picture there that we see in the heart of a true servant and someone who is truly called. It says there, again, they were he was a fugitive from Saul, and he had been. And these guys were mighty men, helpers in war. These mighty men of Saul's tribe could have, been, could have prospered greatly. You know what it says there of these men? Were, they're, that they're actually from his tribe. They're going to be Benjamites. So these guys come, and they're related to Saul. And as men, if they had just joined Saul's army, they would have got paid right away. 
If they had joined Saul's army, they could have had power and position. And instead of doing that and joining Saul, they chose to, to, to join David, who was on a run for his life. Boy, that's a God thing if you're doing that. Amen? You know what they recognized? Yeah, Saul is the king right now, but that's the temporal. I want to look at the eternal. I want to look at what God's going to do. I want to be a part of what God's going to do. I don't care about money. I don't care about position. I don't care about power. What I care about is being in the center of God's will. I care about being used for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? And that's the picture that we see here in these mighty men. Again, they were Benjamites. They're from Saul's family. And they're going to choose David over Saul because they knew that God was with them. You can see that in Judges 3 and Judges 20, the reference to these warriors. And uh, they chose, again, to join David in his temporary suffering and trusting in God's plan and God's will for David's reign. They chose to suffer on purpose. They chose to suffer on purpose. When I think about that, I think of missionaries. Amen? People that leave the comfort of their home and go to a faraway land and sacrifice their lives and purposely live a life that is nowhere near as comfortable because God called them and they have an eternal perspective, not a temporal one. So their choice to follow David came with a great price at great risk. Saul was still king. Saul has a great army. He could have hunted them all down. The names could have got back to him. Did you hear us up there with David? And he could have written all the names down. Could have gone and attacked their families and put them to death. So these guys were stepping out in faith. We too have a choice. We can prosper temporarily by following the present king of this world. Who's the, who's the prince of the power of the air right now in this, in, in this world? Who is it? Satan. You know, we can just succumb to what Satan wants and do what the world wants, and we could probably be really comfortable and, and uh, have some pleasure in this life. We can do that. You know what? But sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, it leads to death. Amen? And what this world has to offer is nothing compared to what God has for us. So we can choose to suffer temporarily in this life to follow the true and coming king. Guys, for these guys, it was never about power or position. It was simply about doing what was right, about following the man that they believed God had chosen. Deep relationships often develop in our Christian walk as we go through times of difficulty together. Amen? You know, Bible says in Proverbs 17 that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You've heard me say the blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. And when you're going through the most difficult times of your life, especially if someone is walking through that with you, your relationship with them becomes stronger. Amen? Lynette and I have been married 37 years. And in this past year, my mom, my son, and my brother all went to heaven. And, and I'm not comparing grief in any way, but my mom was in her 80s. My brother, you know, that hurt deeply. But my son, there's just, it's a thousand times worse than any pain that this world can ever dish out. I'd rather have been, been set on fire. But let me tell you this, it has caused my wife and I to grow even closer because we're walking through this together and we're the two that love Mark the most. Amen? So as these guys come and join with David and they're on the run for their lives and they were hiding out in caves with him and they were going through all these difficulties with him, what was happening? Their hearts were being knit to David's. And David knew their loyalty when he could give them nothing. And do you know that David is going to see these men as his men for the rest of his life? Why? Because they were willing to come and help him at his worst moment. So now he can trust them when he's the king that they're going to be faithful to him. Amen? And so, he, and again, there's some exceptions in there to some of the men, but the reality is that this is a picture of things that we can learn from going through the trials of life. Verse two, it says, look at these guys. They're armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left, hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. So these guys are trained. They're, you know, ambidextrous means you can throw equally with both hands. So these guys were, you know, if you, if you got this hand pinned down or you wounded this hand, they just use the other one. These guys were throwing rocks and throwing arrows. They were arrows. They were trained. And see, part of what, for us to be used by the Lord, we don't just show up and throw up, amen? 
right? That's what, you know, guys who are learning how to teach, sometimes they just show up and throw up and it's painful, amen? Get me out of the front row. Here's the reality that what happens instead is if you're gonna be used by the Lord, you need to spend time in preparation, amen? And the biggest part of that preparation is spending time in the word and spending time in prayer and being in fellowship and walking with God. These guys were getting themselves ready for battle before they ever went into battle. And we need to be ready to fight a spiritual battle before we ever enter into it. Amen? We need to be ready to be used by the Lord. We need to be people in prayer and walk in intimate fellowship with Almighty God. Verse 3 through 7 it says, the chief was a Ahiezer, then Joash, the sons of Shemah, the Gibeathite, Jezeel and, and uh, Pelet, the sons of Azmatha, Berkiah, Jehu, and Anathite, Ishmaiah, the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the 30 and over the 30, Jeremiah, Jehazel, Jehonon, Josabad, Geberthite, Elazai, Jamoth, Baalah, and Eni and the Ites, okay? Then it says Elkanah, Jeshua, Azra, Jezir, Jashabim, the Kohathites, and Jela, Zedadiah, and the son Jabiram of Gabor. Now, he mentions one, this man here, Ishmaiah, the Gibeonite, and he says he's one of the 30. Now, remember in chapter 11, he talked about the, these three guys who were like his most mighty and closest confidants. And then there was the 30. So this guy's one of the 30. He's one of the most, uh, you know, accomplished of all these mighty men. And he had others that he saw over. So he was a man that was close to David. He was one of his mightiest warriors. And then he was a man that was training other warriors to become mighty warriors. Now, what I love about this is why does God have all this detail? Well, there was three, then there was 30, and these guys oversaw these 30. Do you know that our God is a God of order? Amen. And the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Amen. I've had friends, when I pastored the church in Santa Cruz, I had a guy say to me, you know, Pastor Dave, we shouldn't even have a pastor. We should all just show up at church and then we should just like meditate and, and then anybody who has a word can just get up and say whatever they want to say. It'll just be so organic. I go, dude, you've been in Santa Cruz way too long. It'll be so organic. I said, you know what it'll be? It'll be mayhem. It'll be disorderly. Amen? God is a God of order. And so when you see, by the way, the, when the Holy Spirit is working, people are not flopping on the ground and rolling around and barking like dogs and roaring like lions, and you don't need a drunk tank for people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? You know why you don't need that? Because when you walk in the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control, amen? And so he's a God of order, and you'll notice that he's, he names these men, and these are men that are called uniquely by God, and here's a man that's one of the 30, and he's overseeing the next, and then here's the reality. We should have someone discipling us, and we should be discipling somebody else. Amen? God calls us to make disciples. Who, who are you discipling, and who's discipling you? I still have three or four pastors that I call on a regular basis to get counsel from, uh, for prayer, for direction, for wisdom, we never arrive. We never get to the point where we don't need anybody else speaking into our lives. Amen? And so, praise God, this man, you know, we step out in faith, but we also step our, uh, out in order, in obedience to God's divine plan and commands. Again, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. And so, the, it, uh, the, here's what it says about these men in the first seven verses that God brought to David at Ziklag when he was in Philistine territory. And this is toward the end. There, this is right at the end before he's going to be anointed king. And these guys are coming late, but it's better to come late than not to come at all. Amen? God brought them prepared for battle. They were mighty men. They were helpers in war. They were armed with bows. They were using both hands. They were hurling stones. They were shooting arrows. They were brave. They were faithful. They were capable. They were loyal warriors. And again, they came to help David. David didn't put out a one ad. David wasn't, you know, didn't have a, a job fair. 
Amen? What happened? God moved on the hearts of these men. They knew who David was. They knew that he was God's anointed, and they showed up. And some of them, because their own lives were a mess, and they had nowhere else to go, but when they came, they devoted their lives to the Lord and to serve David faithfully. So point number one, focusing on the eternal. They could have had a better return signing up for the army with King Saul. They were Benjamites. They would have been hired in a minute. They could have served there. They could have had more power, more position, more comfort, more safety for their family. And they chose to go and serve with David. Point number two, be prepared for the battle. Now we're going to see another group of people, the Gadites. So the first guys are Benjamites. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. Now the Gadites... Some of them settled outside the land of promise. We talked about that, two and a half tribes. Those two and a half tribes did come in and help win the initial battles, but they stayed outside the land and never lived inside the land. And they remained out there. And eventually they were the first ones conquered because they settled for less than God's highest. So they entered the battle for a time, but they did not enter in to the land. Now let's describe these, these Gadites, these men from Gad. It says of them, uh, some joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness. Now, this is not time-wise. We're backing up several years now. See, Ziklag was at the end of David's 10-year waiting period. It's literally days before King Saul's going to die, and then King David's going to become king, at least a part of the land, for seven years, and they'll be able to reign alongside him, and God will use them to run the army and the military, right? Well, these guys who came to David, when David was running and he was hiding in the caves. So these guys came years earlier, the Gadites, and they too, and look what it says of these men. It says in the strong, almighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who, had, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions. And what does that mean? I don't know if they just had beards and, you know, a lot of hair and they were just, by the way, when I see a lion, I want to see him on TV <laughs> or in a zoo in a big cage. By the way, when I was living in Santa Cruz, a lion got out at the San Francisco Zoo, jumped the fence. Is that the worst nightmare ever? Can you imagine? A lion jumped the fence and was running, and they were being, he was being taunted, taunted by some teenage boys. I can't remember if he got him or not. I think he might have. And, it, and the lion jumped the fence and chased him down. Dude. So these guys were, these guys were fierce. So he's got guys that, you know, the, each group has their own level of, of capabilities and gifting. And again, it, faces like lions, they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. If you've been to Israel especially in the area of En Gedi and some of the places where David would have hidden, they are just rocky and coarse and hard to navigate. The goats that live there have a hard time climbing up. But here's these guys that God brought to serve alongside David. And it says they were, they were not only mighty warriors, but they could move quickly. And so here, God, God doesn't give David the rest. He's given him the best. Amen. And guys, when we give to the Lord, we shouldn't give God the rest. We should give him our best. Amen. The best of our time and our talents and everything that we have. So they're men of valor. That means they're men of courage, of a warrior spirit. They were trained for battle. They were men who had patiently received the training they needed to be mighty warriors. They could handle the shield and the spear. They were men who were skilled in the use of essential weapons, both defensive weapons and offensive weapons, with skill gained from their training. They had a calm demeanor of men who were confident in God, and they had the countenance of fierce and calm warriors, undaunted, fierce, terrible to their enemies. They're, they looked death in its face and, and again would continue to move forward. They were mighty men. And again, that doesn't happen without hard work. You don't become a mighty warrior by eating a bag of chips in your recliner. Amen. You know, if you're going to be a mighty warrior, you're going to train for it. So these guys have been trained. These guys have been preparing. And after all of that, they make the conscious choice to go to a cave and line up with, with David. Now you remember that King Saul comes in to relieve himself in the cave. When Saul's looking to kill him, what do all his mighty men say? Kill him. God brought him. Look at him. He's got his pants down. He's in trouble. He's defenseless. Let's get him. And what, you know, can I just kill him for you? And David said, no, we're not going to touch the Lord's anointed. 
And again, what was he doing? These were mighty men of valor and war, but they needed to be taught to honor God and the authority he's placed over them. So they were mighty men of value who could serve David, but David was also discipling and preparing them. Amen? And that's what it should look like in Christian relationships where we all have different gifts. We ought to be ministering one to another. We, don't grow, we will not grow spiritually without effort. It's not going to happen. You don't just become closer to God because you've been a Christian another year. You can be a baby for the rest of your life. If, you, if all you ever drink is milk, you'll never grow. Amen? And you, you're, just, you're, you're in a church nursery, and you've never left. Why? Because you don't spend time in the Word of God. You, you, don't, uh, you haven't got out of your comfort zone and started serving others. You're not involved in ministry. And I'm not saying you have to do ministry even at church, but you're not involved in ministering to other people. You're not sharing your faith. And again, all of that requires effort. It requires getting on your knees and praying that God will equip you, praying that God will give you opportunities. It requires opening up the word of God and studying it and growing in it. Because, you know, the Bible says to study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A lot of us won't share our faith because we don't know the Bible well enough. And we're afraid they'll ask us where Cain got his wife and we won't have the answer and then we'll just panic. Right? We're afraid of the question we won't have an answer to. And the reality is that the enemy wants you to not read your Bible, feel ill-equipped, and never share your faith. Amen? I want to encourage you. You know more than every unbeliever on the planet, because they don't know Jesus, and you do. Amen? And you can share your testimony, but I want to encourage you to study God's Word. See, it takes work. It takes effort to be prepared to enter the battle. These men were prepared. These men had trained, and they're coming alongside King David, knowing again that he has little to really give them in return at the moment. And these guys especially, because you go back further in years. Go to down to verse 14. It says, There were from the sons of Gad captains of the army, and the least over a hundred, and the greatest was over a thousand. When you look in the original language, what it really says is that the least of them, one guy, could chase a hundred. That that one guy could kill a hundred, overwhelm a hundred, or have a hundred running for their lives. And the greatest among them could slay a thousand, could have, be over a thousand, could scare them. Because a lot of times when you look at that, it looks like they were in charge of a thousand. But when you look in the original language, that's not what it means. They have victory over them. So these are David's guys. His worst guy could kill a hundred guys by himself. That's the guy you want when you're in a dark alley and someone's about to mug you. You want to see that dude running out of his car for help. Amen. And these are the guys that are serving David. These are guys that would be in high demand in war. They could have served, they could have been paid to, to run and help other kingdoms, and they chose to serve David. They chose to serve the man that God had called. The following King David, who as a teenager slayed a giant and sent the Philistine army running for their lives. Guys, the, it takes training, but it also requires the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need to train as if it all depends on us, and we need to be desperate and humble before God as if it all depends on him. Amen? Now, he does it all. He gets all the glory. We don't get any of it. But, you know, God won't steer a parked car. Amen? Put the car in drive and start moving forward and see where God steers you to go. We, if we want to be used by the Lord, we need to be prepared to be used for his kingdom. Verse 15, it says there, these are the ones who crossed the Jordan the first month when it all overflowed all its banks and they put to flight all those in the valleys to the east and the west. These guys, this is back in Joshua 3 and 4, and it was an example of the might of these men that the chronicler records an instance where these brave warriors crossed the Jordan at a time when the, the snow was melting, no doubt, and the, the water was rising, and it was the most difficult time to step out and help, but they didn't allow the difficulty of the, of the situation to keep them from doing what God had called them to do. See, someone who's truly called by God will never allow the circumstances of this life to get in the way of them doing what they're called to do. Amen? Well, I would serve the Lord, but... And I've got people that I know. One of my, one of my closest friends, and we, I just talked to him recently. 
And I remember when he's, we, I did a discipleship class at Calvary Santa Cruz when we first started it. That was 22 years ago. And we had, it started with three guys that grew to 70. And I was teaching them how to study and teach the Bible. And out of that came seven guys who are now all pastors. And it was just a fruitful time. And this guy was as gifted a teacher as I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, bro, why are you using your gift? Well, you we just moved to a new house. I got some remodeling to do, and I just got a new job, and I got to train for that. And then, you know, we got, we, we got small kids now, and we got, you know, so as soon as all the kids are at school, and as soon as I get my promotion at work, as soon as I figure things out with this other thing I'm doing, and when I get the remodeling done, then I'll start using my gift. Two years later, I'm talking to him. Well, now we put the kids in Christian school, and we're going to adopt a baby, and we're doing this, and we're doing, and every time I talk to him, he's got a reason why he's not serving the Lord. Guys, Anything that's getting in the way of you serving the Lord needs to go. Amen? Go to work. Do your job as unto the Lord. But he needs to be a priority. Again, we give God our best, not the rest. Amen? They would not allow their circumstances to keep them from being faithful to his calling. They, they, they went across the water. They went and fought the enemy. And they did not let a huge obstacle in front of them keep them from doing what God had called them to do. When I was younger, I, I, I got busted for this. I, I, I totally did. I would say all the time when I was in Lancaster to my friends, I'd say, well, you know, when I'm in the ministry, then I'll do this. When I'm in the, and what I meant was when I'm full time, which by the way, I'm still waiting for that. But here's the reality, 34 years later, and, and I, I'm not saying I'll ever even do that. Maybe I'll get to the point where that happens, but that's not anything I, I really plan on doing. But here's what happened was, I would say that, and one of my buddies pulled me aside one day, and he goes, Dave, what do you do on Tuesday nights? I go, well, you know, I teach youth group. What do you do on Thursday nights? Well, I teach the men's Bible study. What do you do on Saturday morning? Well, I have a discipleship group. What do you do on Sundays when Pastor John's not there? Well, I teach on Sunday mornings. Where are all the baptisms for our church? Well, they're at my house. You know, and he starts going down this list. He goes, when you're in the ministry, what do you think you're doing now? Now. <laughs> Guys, we're all in the ministry. Amen? We're all in the ministry. And God has given you gifts, and he wants you to use the gifts he has given you. And you know what? It doesn't have to be something that everybody sees. But if we're all eyes, where's going to be the hearing? Amen? You know, if we're all hands, who, how are we going to walk? Where's the feet? So all of us have gifts, and God's got a calling on of our lives, and I'm and look, we don't announce the, all the ministries just because we want to get more people doing stuff. We want you to grow spiritually, use the gifts. And some of you have gifts I don't have, and you can minister to me. And I may have a gift you don't have, and I can minister to you. But that's the body of Christ, Amen. And praise the Lord for those faithful people who use their gifts. For the glory of God. So be prepared for battle. Again, how do you do that? Spend time in the word, be prayed up, spend time in prayer, spend time, uh, you know, preparing to share your faith. I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to do that on one of these Thursday nights. I'm going to, we're going to have a, a, a workshop and just teach you how to share your faith. Uh, verse 16 to 18, number three, knowing that no suffering is wasted. Look at verse 16. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. So now remember, Benjamites had come at the end when he's in Ziklag. This is back when he's still in the stronghold. And notice it's men of Judah and Benjamin. The Benjamites are Saul's family. And the tribe of Judah are David's family. And people from David's family and Saul's family came to serve David came to serve alongside David, were called by God. Notice that they didn't just stick with who their family was. They prayed about it and went to the place that God wanted to use them. And we need to be careful that we don't get so overwhelmed by, you know, this is how I've always been and this is the denomination I've always been in or this is where I've always served, that we miss out on how God might want to use us somewhere else. Amen? Plus, the Benjamites were recognizing that their that King Saul, their cousin or uncle or whatever he might have been, was a disaster. And he was operating outside of God's will. And so it says there, they came to David when he was in the stronghold, verse 17, and David went out to meet them. And he answered and said to them, if you've come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. 
But if you betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. He goes out, he doesn't know these people. He doesn't know if he can trust him. And basically what he says is, look, if you're here to help me, you'll be my brother and I will walk with you and I will, I will, we'll, we'll be knit together. And, but if you come to harm me, I'm going to just let God take care of you. I'm going to say, God, God's judgment be upon you. Because David, again, at this point, he's hiding in caves. He's running for his life. These men come. He doesn't know if they're for him or against him. And he, and he needs someone to come alongside him. You know what? There's people right now that need someone to come alongside them. Amen? There's people that are hurting. There are people that, that uh, are, in their mind, running for their lives. They don't have any hope right now. And they need somebody. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to just give them a call and encourage them. Take them out to lunch. Love on them. Minister to them. And speak into their lives. Amen? And there's people that need that. And notice what he says here. Then the Spirit came upon Amishai, chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We're on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. I love how this man doesn't speak until the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then when he speaks, he speaks on behalf of the Lord. David was ready to receive somebody who God sent. And if it was anybody that the enemy sent, he wanted no part of them. And this man comes and he speaks the words and the oracles of God. He speaks by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that do? It knits his heart to David's heart. Again, blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Amen? From David's words to the men that came to David, we can see the depths of the trial he was in. He doesn't trust these men. He wants to know right away whose side they're on. And again, are you for the Lord or against the Lord? And again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this man is able to speak. Again, prophetic words of encouragement to David. And he recognized the voice of the Lord. David knew that's the voice of the Lord. That's God speaking. So they saw the hand of God upon David. And these men came and they wanted to serve alongside him. And again, David's trials, victory, victory. Uh, Again, he's going to have victory in the midst of them and a testimony to the grace of God and the power of God. And David is strengthened by these faithful men coming alongside him and the words of encouragement from the Lord. Now, I will say this. God, you know, God has kind of made me in a certain way that I, you know, by the grace of God and it's all because of him, I'm just not, you can't really offend me. And I'm really, I very rarely really care what anybody thinks. I'm just telling you, because I learned a long time ago that the only one I'm going to be judged by is him. And as long as I'm good with him, and look, first of all, I want you guys all to know I love you deeply. I would, I would do anything for any one of you. I would die for you guys. And I mean that with the depths of my heart. I count it a privilege to serve you. That being said, if somebody's upset because they don't like the way certain things are done, and, and anything that no, has nothing to do with what's being taught or no, you know... If, if you're offended by something that's in the Bible, then move your feet. If, you're, if your toes are getting stepped on, move your feet, they're in the wrong place because the word of God is going to step on your toes when you're in the wrong place, amen? And so, but, but one thing I will tell you is since my son has died, I have seven or eight of my friends that are, I get a call every day from somebody and they're just saying, how you doing, bro? Let me pray with you, bro. You know what? We all have times when we need encouragement, Amen. We all have times. And it's amazing. They never all call at the same time. And none of them, and one's in New York and two are in Santa Cruz. And one's, you know, and they'll just call. I'll be driving between sales calls. And hey, bro, just praying about you, thinking about you. How's your wife? Let me pray for you guys. We love you guys. We'll send us a card. And a little thing, we all need encouragement. Amen? Barnabas, right? The son of encouragement. And so here's, this, this is a great encouragement to David. He's been running for his life and these men are coming alongside him to serve with him. So he's not alone in the cave, amen? David was a man who would fight a giant when nobody else did, but he was still a man. And even those who may have, you know, uh, strong fortitude in themselves, we all need encouragement. We all need times to be ministered to. Point number four, their suffering of this life is for but a little while. Look at verse 19 to 22. It says, and some from Manasseh 
defected to David when he was going with the Philistines to battle against Saul, but they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by agreeing, saying, he may defect to his master, Saul, and endanger our, our heads. So here's what happens. Some men fled to go and help David fight against their own people because they wanted to be on David's side. And praise God that he used the ungodly Philistines to put a stop to that. Amen? And God will sometimes use an unbeliever to put a stop to something that a believer is trying to do that's wrong. And that's exactly what takes place here. Again, this is the very battle where Saul is going to die. And it's the end of David's 10-year period. But when these guys came to come alongside David, they didn't know that the time was up. David certainly didn't know that time was up. Again, when, when we're going through trials, only God knows, is this going to be for a week, a month, a year, a lifetime? And whatever it is, we need to turn, learn to trust the Lord in the midst of it. But David's coming to the end of it. These guys come alongside him. And again, he didn't know that the end of his trials were coming. You know what? David needed fellowship. We need fellowship. You know what? We, we need fellowship to disciple others, to be discipled, to use our gifts, to allow others to use their gifts to minister to us. And praise God for those who saw David in trouble and ran to help him. And again, we've got people that are hurting and we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit that we might be able to help them. David's suffering was for but a little while, especially this point in these verses we just read, literally he's days away from Saul being gone. Now we do know that David doesn't immediately become king. He becomes, he's in Hebron and for seven and a half years, he's ruling over a portion. But what happens is they raise up one of Saul's sons to take his place. And he reigns for a while, then he dies. And then finally they realize David's the king. So he rules for seven and a half years in Hebron. And then 33 more years, he's going to rule from Jerusalem. So even though David's time was over, he didn't fully get to where God had called him to be for another seven and a half years. Guys, we need to learn to be patient. And I want to say this too. We need to learn to be serving the Lord while we're waiting for the thing that we believe God's called us to. Amen. Don't wait till you're in the ministry. We're all in the ministry. We've all been called by God and are being used for his kingdom and for his glory. Look at the verse 23 to 37. I'm going to skim through this a little bit, but we're going to see all 12 tribes mentioned again. Now, the tribes had been severed. And there was Judah, right? And so what was happening was David's king of part. The other 10 tribes are still against David. They're, they're not unified. And finally, here's what's going to take place. All 12 tribes are going to be mentioned here. And all of them are going to contribute men to the mighty men of David. So, these, so basically, the best of each tribe is going to come and join in this army that David's going to have. Now, in those days, they didn't have police. So the, these, this military they raised up, they policed their people. They fought battles against their enemies. They were so important. And God's going to raise up these mighty men. Look what it says there. Now these, verse 23, were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David. So these guys are all equipped. They're all gifted. They're all ready for battle. Look what it says. It says, it came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. So God told him to do it. This was God's plan. It was time for him to become king. And again, they came to Hebron to rule alongside him or to serve him. It says, of the sons of Judah, bearing the shield and spear, 6,800 armed for war. These guys are ready to go to battle today. You know, when, when you go to plant a church, I love church planting. I love it. By the way, we're paying the rent for that church down in Brazil. They've, people are already getting saved there. They just baptized some people last Sunday and God's doing an awesome work. Amen. And praise God for that. But I love church plants. But you know, when you go out to plant a church, if you go out by yourself, it's going to be a rough road. You know what you need? Other people who feel called to go with you. Amen. See, David had people called to go with him. Now, God had called him to do it. 
And going out alone makes it really rough. But even if a few families say, you know, we feel called to go with you. We want to go with you and see what God's going to do. And I want to encourage you. Sometimes we just need to be that person that comes alongside somebody. So here's these men of war. They're ready and prepared, and they see the opportunity, and they're going to align up with King David. It says, the sons of Simeon, mighty men of valor, fit for war, 7,100. The sons of Levi, 4,600. Now, some people are surprised to see the Levites listed here, because what do the Levites do? They're priests. But do you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say the priests can't fight battles? They can fight spiritual battles and physical ones. So the Levites are listed here as those who are lining up for battle. Jehoiada, the leader of the Aaronites, so that's the priest, with him 3,300 uh, 3,700. Zadok, a young man, a valiant warrior, from his house, 22 captains. The sons of Benjamin, relatives of Saul, 3,000. Until then, the greatest part of them had remained loyal to the house of Saul. So Saul dies. His son takes charge, but some of those warriors defected to come alongside David. Then it says there, verse 30, of the sons of Ephraim, 22 are 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous men throughout the the first house. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 who were designated by the name to come and make King David king. So they're anointing him king, and they're recognizing him as king. He's been anointed king for decades. For the last 10 years, he's been on the run for his life. He's finally going to be put on the throne and be anointed. And then seven and a half years later, he's going to be anointed again as the king over all of Israel. So literally, it's, taken, it's going to take almost 30 years from when he's originally anointed by Samuel until he's finally ruling and reigning over the entire kingdom. But these guys are coming alongside, recognizing God's calling upon his life. It says, of the sons of Issachar, in verse 32 who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Of Zebulun, there were 50,000 who went out to battle, expert in war with all the weapons, and stout-hearted men who would keep the ranks. I love that word, stout-hearted. We don't use that word anymore. I really like it. And, and what's interesting is the, the meaning behind that word is, is men who were uh, a whole heart of devotion, that they were uncompromising and unwavering in their devotion to the Lord and to King David. These guys were not going to waver. These guys were stout-hearted. They were going to fight the battle no matter what. Remember last week we talked about the two guys in the bean patch? And they're standing back to back and they're fighting the entire enemy all by themselves to, to, you know, to defend a bean patch. These guys are stout hearted. Of Naphtali, 1,000 captains with 37,000 with the shield and spear. Of the Danites who came, there were 28,600. Boy, his 300 mighty men, 400 mighty men sure is growing right about now. Now he got hundreds of thousands. He went from, you know, a handful of mighty men that God used to protect him and help him win battles. And now this mighty army is swelling up. But David was faithful in the small things. Now God's going to use him in the greater things. And that's an example for all of us. Whatever God calls you to do, you do it with all your heart. The first thing I ever taught, my wife and I taught the two and three-year-olds at, at uh, Calvary Chapel Antelope Valley because our daughter was two at the time. And I, I had never really taught before. And then after that, I ended up starting helping with the youth and became the youth pastor. But the point is, when you teach the two and three-year-olds, you go in there ready and prepared, amen? Be prepared with whatever opportunity you have to do it as unto the Lord. It says of Asher, they could go out to war and keep battle. Formation, 40,000 of the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh from the other side of Jordan, 120,000 armed for battle with every kind of weapon of war. Boy, I can't even imagine. This is hundreds of thousands are now mounted up. They're anointing David king over, again, portion of, of the land of Judah, not of all of Israel. And here he is, and there's this huge coronation. And after running for all these years, having spears thrown at him, after acting like a crazy man, seeing priests put to death, all these things that took place, and now he's finally where God had called him to be. But again, all those years were not wasted. Those years were all preparation to make him the king and the man that God wanted to use. Again, no matter what we go through in this life, 
all of it will be used for his kingdom and his glory. You know, when you go through a trial, we know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that God comforts us in our suffering, that we may then comfort others with the comfort that we have received. So when you go through something that nobody else has, or, or you know, when, I, when I'm ministering to people and they, found out, they find out about Mark, if there's somebody that lost a child, all of a sudden there's a whole new level of empathy that takes place. Because before, I thought I was pretty close to it because I've been a pastor 34 years and I've done funerals for children and I've been with families when they were told their child had died. And I thought, wow, I, I thought I had a glimpse of what it was like. And here's the reality. I wasn't within 500 miles of it. You think you know until it happens to you and then you didn't know all along. And, and at the same time, I'd rather not have this ministry at all. I'd rather just as soon do something. Someone else can do that, not me. But the thing is, whatever trial you go through, that no, none of your suffering is wasted either. Some of you may have a background where you struggle with drugs. I don't have that. You can minister to somebody in a way that I can't. Maybe you've, been, you've had a, a, a really rough marriage and you saw God restore and you can minister to somebody who's had a rough marriage. You may struggle, whatever it may be, that you may have cancer. You saw God heal you and now you can minister to somebody else who's, who's dealing with cancer. See, when, when we go through suffering, God is going to use it. No, none of this suffering is wasted. And again, You'll notice as they all come together, and now they're all using their gifts, what happens? The whole body is strengthened. When we all come together and we all use our gifts, the body will be strengthened. Last portion, joy comes in the morning. Now, I love this. So all this trouble, all this strife, running for his life, you know, hiding with the Philistines. Now, look how it ends. All these men of war who could keep ranks, came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. You know, David could have said, dude, about time. What's up? About time. Where you been? Now, he doesn't do that. But sometimes that's how we feel like it's been so long. And sometimes we can like take our ball and go home. David could have said, dude, I was supposed to have been king. Figured out on didn't do that. Guys, we want to be usable for the kingdom of God. We want to be faithful and trust in God's timing. But watch how this ends. Look at verse 39 and 40. And there with David, three days eating and drinking for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them from as far away as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali were bringing food on donkeys and camels, on mules and oxen, provisions of flour and cakes of figs and cakes of raisins and wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly for there was joy in Israel. Here's after the grief Grief turns to joy. Amen? Mourning turns to joy. Trials and struggles turn to joy. Some of you might say, well, I haven't experienced the joy part yet. For some of us, that joy may not happen fully until we get to heaven. Amen? But there is joy in the morning. And look at this. From a guy running for his life to now, they're feeding hundreds of thousands. If not, it, that's just the soldiers. Imagine all the people that are there to celebrate, and they eat for three days. That's what I'm talking about. They're eating for three days. They got enough food to eat, feed hundreds of thousands, if not millions, just hundreds of thousands of them soldiers. Everybody else is there, and they're just eating, and they're rejoicing, and there's joy. And to me, it's a picture of kind of a glimpse of what heaven will be like, that, yeah, we're going through trials now, but there's a day coming when the trials will all be gone. Amen? We, we may be going through, through we may be mourning, we may be grieving, we may have heartache, we may have health issues, or whatever we're going through right now. And guys, while there's grieving, joy's coming in the morning. And praise God that David, after all this time, do you think he's excited? Do you think he's enjoying this now? Do you think he, he's waited so long, it's more precious to him than it would have been if it had happened overnight? So we need to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. Does God know what he's doing? What's the answer? He does. And he knows when to do it too, amen? Five things real quickly that we saw about these, I'll close with this. Things that make a great army. First of all, they need to be equipped. They didn't know what they're doing. Be ready. They need to be flexible. These guys are flexible. They're ready to go anywhere and any time. We need, as believers, you know, Pastor Chuck used to say, blessed are flexible, they shall not be broken. And being flexible just means, Lord, use me wherever. I'm looking for an opportunity. Uh, Lord, how, how do you want to use me? They're loyal. 
When one group came to David, he tested their loyalty and he wanted to know if they were on his side or not. And you know what? We, we need to hold up the hands of those we may be serving alongside in ministry. And I'm not saying that we can't question the way they do things, but we should not be causing division in the body of Christ. Amen? We should be standing up with each other. They're aware of opportunities and they're joyful in the midst of it. As Christians, we should be the most joyful people on the planet because by the way, nobody else can have joy if they don't have Jesus because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. They can have temporary happiness based on their circumstances. If you're only happy when your circumstances are perfect, you're not going to be happy very often. But if you have the Lord, you can have joy in the midst of the storm because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that brings joy. Amen? So in closing, when times are tough, keep looking up. Focus on the eternal. Be prepared for battle. Know that no suffering is wasted. Suffering of this life is for but a little while. Strength comes when the body is unified and joy comes in the morning. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for this picture that we saw in the word tonight. As David at first was lonely, and Lord, you brought people to come alongside him, to serve with him. He ministered to them. They ministered to him. And then, Lord, that loyalty was built. They saw the hand of God upon him. They encouraged and strengthened him. And then when he was anointed king, they ruled alongside him. And Lord, we just thank you for that picture, Lord. What a blessing it is that we get to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts you've given us. May we not bury them in the sand. May we not take our talents and bury them in the ground. But when you return, Lord, may you find us busy about your work. I pray for everyone here tonight. Anybody that doesn't know what their gift is, I pray you would give them a burden for something. A burden is a spawning ground of a calling that they would say there needs help in this area. There's something here that needs to be done. And I pray you would stir it up within them and that it would be a get to, not a have to. They would have a heart to serve you in some way. And so Lord, we love you. We praise you. We glorify, magnify your name. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,